And then my favorite one of all the five is that they were there specifically to get FaceTime with that one or two executives that are going to be there. So that way they see them there. And in all five reasons, it's not, it's not coming with an open mind to learn, uh, typically. Um, and how do you change the framing of these trainings? Um, or this heritage event or the speaking engagement that you brought me there for? Well, you change it by rebranding it. You have to brand it differently. You, you can't, just like Coke doesn't sell Coca-Cola one way the entire way around the world, they even make it taste differently as you move about the world. So why do you think you can sell DEI to people as DEI? You have to change it. You have to change the way it's, it's narrated. So I often present myself as a leadership expert on purpose and a leadership and empowerment expert because both those things are important to everybody. Jeff Bezos wants more empowerment. So why wouldn't you want it? Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io. The link to connect with us is also in the description. Let's get back to the episode. Um, all right, Ashley. Um, so I know you as an incredible DEI leader, but uh, could you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you do if they're not as familiar with you yet? Sure, I'm glad to. Thank you so much. I'm Ashley T. Brundage. I'm the president and CEO of Empowering Differences, which is an intersectionally based organization that focuses on leadership development as the foundational concept. Um, I researched this foundational concept for eight years, uh, researching empowerment and how empowerment is impacted by the top 10 things that make us different as humans. And those are the differences. So empowering differences. And, uh, and so that research uh, led me to finding a job and overcoming harassment, discrimination and homelessness as a part-time bank teller at PNC Bank. And then over the next four and a half years, I perfected my research and I leveraged my research to become the national vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion at PNC Bank. Uh, I did the DEI good work um, on the field uh, every day uh, for the next six years, um, uh, which was uh, of course through the murder of George Floyd and um, and then through the pandemic and uh, and then I left uh, my post uh, just like a lot of people do for the you know the great resignation but I call it the great reprioritization and uh, and so that led me to running my own firm and that's what I get to do now which is pretty exciting that's amazing I love the the career journey arc that you shared um, in just a short amount of time. So we'll get into that. Um, but what's the greatest misconception about leadership that you've seen uh, in the market recently? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I think it's probably the, the long-term uh, misperception is that leadership comes from the person that has published the most books or sold the most books or has been the leader for leadership expert for a hundred years, but we know what those people typically look like. They don't necessarily carry all the differences that might not be represented in your room, especially in the position of leadership. 
So that's why I'm a big fan of making sure that your leadership experts go across all the 10 differences um, that we have. And then you can actually start to break down those myths because I've learned some things from people who are homeless and I've learned leadership things from people who are Uber drivers and, and, uh, and rideshare drivers. Um, it's shocking when you think about that, you could actually learn leadership from all different types of places. Yeah, I truly believe that too. You know, I, I did some, I, I was a grocery bagger at one point. Um, and I was also a, ba a bank teller at Citibank at one point. So I definitely know about how it is at the end of the day, you have to balance the register. You just deal with so many people. Um, it's an amazing experience. Um, but so could you talk a little bit about uh, the impact that PNC had on your entrepreneurial journey, especially during that transition? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was pretty neat because I, I had, well, I had worked in a corporate setting, um, prior to that I had, um, worked my way up in a restaurant, in the restaurant industry. Um, I hadn't worked in an industry that carries, Honestly, the financial services industry has a very difficult uh, path because um, lots of things about holding on to other people's money could be seen as very disempowering um, and what you do with that and how they make money and how they leverage money from someone else's money. And that whole concept is very, very much uh, hard to execute a business model based on empowerment. Um, so, you know, that was kind of one of the really things that was very difficult for me was kind of realizing that ultimately as an individual working in the financial services sector you have a responsibility to have a humanistic conversation with someone about how you can get them out of any potential misstep and how you can help to teach them the same way that bank operates to make money and leverage money and leverage all the resources um, so I would literally have a foundational conversation with, from the teller line sometimes with someone about how they could turn around their whole situation. Because it's just interesting, the people who typically, typically come into a bank is going to be somebody from a marginalized community more so than someone who is not. Um, and... And so having the dialogue with the, with anyone from that, from that sector, uh, you can literally kind of cha change someone's life by teaching them how to budget and teaching them how to, how to leverage credit and how to build credit and how to execute and how to, why to get credit card, and how to use it, how to pay it and how to exit. Like literally all of these things um, are reasons why so many people are in a marginalized state because we can't get out. It's like digging and digging. Like I, I used to have to go to get a payday load uh, just to survive. And it's like absolutely uh, atrociously when you realize how, what the interest rate is that you're paying on those. So um, like foundationally helping people and then listening to what their goals are, it's, it, it's a way of changing the whole dynamic of the way that banking is looked at. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, such a challenging place to be in. But I think um, it's really people rarely find people like you that will take a second to <laughs> teach them about these things while they have probably a long line, you know, um, piling up or something like that. Um, and I think and well, that it was like you had to make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, got you. At, at some point, right, you had to make an appointment to sit down 
so that way we can work together and set up this conversation and um yeah it was mm. just it was interesting because it was like that was the how the bank was banks were pivoting into that into that model to get away from the long line right <laughs> yeah you know that is a special situation to be in um and i feel like that authenticity kind of um has I mean, you still have that amazing level of authenticity and you're genuine about everything you do. Um, I read something about you that really was touching. You said that um, at, at a certain point, you felt like you didn't fit into the world, uh, if I'm phrasing that properly. Um, so what, what advice would you give to people that feel like they, they kind of don't fit in um, the world it might be, or, or someone that might be leading a person that uh, may seem like that? Mm. Yeah, stop trying to fit in. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think that everything that makes you different is exactly the thing that actually makes you even more valuable to the organization. Um, I mean, oftentimes I think about um, that process of talking about the things that make me who I am and how sometimes that can make other people feel com uncomfortable. Um, and that peace, that uncomfortability that someone else feels, that's not your problem. But if you don't address it and you don't uh, empower your difference, as I like to call it, then it is your problem ultimately, because that person won't want to work with you. They're not going to feel comfortable. And then they're going to pass you over for a leadership opportunity. They're not going to want to recommend that you go to that banquet rubber chicken dinner that you were hoping that you got a ticket to go to. Um, all of those things are not going to happen. So you, you, at some point, you have to realize that A, personally, you can't care. And then B, you also have to figure out a way to make them care. And how you make them care is by sharing the empowering information that you're about to share with them. So that's why I came up with a four-step leadership model to help address this exact issue. The four steps is the basis from the book that I published, Empowering Differences, is the basis of all the things that I do when I show up with an organization and I talk about helping people leverage empowerment, leverage all their differences to drive empowerment and impact change. Um, this first step is to know yourself. So you have to do a holistic self-assessment. People can actually download my self-assessment for free right at empoweringdifferences.com. And it's 21 questions that are going to get to get you thinking about how you exist in this world and build your own authority for empowerment. And then step two is to know others. And that's where you learn about the differences. But in knowing others, you have to actually do research on the economic impact that you bring for each of your differences. If, you, if I show up, now I'm talking about the fact that there are more than 2 million uh, transgender people in the United States, and it's probably a lot more than that because that was a 2012 statistic uh, from the UCLA Williams Institute. Um, so if I can talk about it like that, and then they realize, wow, UCLA Williams Institute, they taught, they study everything. Um, and now it's like, oh, wow, this is like, not just like a, like a, like a fetish, or it's not just a, a, a blanket community that doesn't even exist that people just talk about. It's bigger than that. Um, and then I can talk about the $1.7 trillion economic buying power of the LGBT entrepreneur in the United States, which is the 10th largest economy in the entire world on its own. Um, now we're trying to change the dynamic of the way people are looking about my differences. So like I've addressed my gender difference, I've addressed my, my LGBTQ sexuality, SOGI definition-y um, difference. And then I can think, okay, wait a minute, I need to build a strategy for how I can leverage this and change this person's perspective. Um, and so that's step three to develop your strategy. 
uh, for which differences to empower in which setting, but also the strategy for what leadership actions you're going to do to impact change. And those leadership actions is the fourth step, and I call them empowering actions. So to make an action an empowering action, that means that you need to be able to communicate what is the authority, what is the power, and who the people are that are connected to that leadership action that you're doing. And that's the app of empowerment is those three key, key, key elements when you do them with other people. Um, and that is empowerment in action, basically. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and something that I think uh, touched on that a little bit uh, is the empowering differences assessment. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so these those 21 questions are all open ended. Um, and when you think about um, uh, so the authority portion of empowerment is, in my opinion, aside from people, the most important part. People oftentimes think about the power portion of empowerment, like, you know, like physical power is like measured by kilowatts. And a lot of people think about the power items and empowerment, like money and time, right? Because those are all measured and judged by some sort of unit of measure. Um, the power part of empowerment is the thing that gets people really emotionally enthralled. Like they look at their bank account balance. Um, they're logging in Thursday at 12.01 to try to see if they got a direct deposit that hit. Um, and it emotionally attaches them to um, some of these things that they want to acquire um, because they know they can count them and measure them. Um, and so that's the power part of empowerment, but the assessment really centers around the authority part, which is like I was saying, I think that that authority of empowerment is even stronger. Um, the authority is all the emotionally charged items that are related to you as a human, as the human part of human resources. It's the uh, mindfulness, it's meditation, it's manifesting, it's everything that you do to take care of your own body, your wellness. Um, how you frame things, how you think about things, how you dream, how you set goals, um, how you force yourself to get up in the morning and how you follow that alarm and how you uh, manage relationships with other humans. It's how you have goals. It's everything that you do that makes you function in this world. Um, so all of those questions are try to are curated specifically towards building your own authority and what empowerment means to you. Because a lot of companies will use the word empowerment as like a marketing slick or a campaign, but only you know what empowerment means to you. No one else can ever tell you, oh, use this product. It's very empowering. I mean, that's that's garbage. Okay. Um, you have to center it for you. You're in charge. You're the boss. You have your own boss-like mentality. Um, and, and it's up to you. And, and so you're only going to accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. Uh, so that's why I say authority is, is, is more important than the power items. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, and I know that you mentioned that uh, embracing differences, is, it drives economic impact. Um, is there one specific uh, difference that typically drives economic impact? Or uh, could you talk about how the differences do uh, drive economic impact? Yeah, well, so I, I, I say, um, and this is kind of the genesis of why this work is so important, is that um, 
like you, we all have these these ten top ten differences. Like oftentimes, like in DEI, we think about race and then we think about gender, and it's usually in that order. And for right now, but before George Floyd was murdered, it was gender, and then it was race, um, and then maybe uh, a couple of other things like ethnicity might have been third, and then and then and then maybe disability was fourth um, because we were just tracking the ones that the EEOC is telling us to track and measure it in for corporations. Um, and so when you're basically just summing up what makes you who you are and you're being tracked and measured against the standard, it, it's, it just carries a lot of not so, it carries a lot of distrust from the employee bases. Um, so that's why I say, you know, you want to empower all of your differences because even a white heterosexual cisgender male um, who, you know, operates in, in a corporate setting, which uh, I presented that way for a lot of years. So I, I can speak about that difference, uh, which is kind of the fun thing about me showing up uh, in an organization as, as I know what kind of what that what that felt like. Um, but so that person still has gender, still has race, still has ethnicity, still has a religion, still has all of these differences, uh, still has sexuality. Um, and, and now can see that they have a lot of empowerment within their differences already, potentially. And, and now the framing here is, and why really developing your strategy is so important is because now you have the ability to, to provide empowerment for other people. If it's only focusing on you, then it's then it doesn't carry the kind of um, empowerment of all people potentially. You know, so I, I really function in this way of, of thinking. Like I transitioned my gender very publicly. Like it's I've been written about a lot, um, but I only did that one time. <laughs> I transitioned my religion three times. I transitioned my social economic class from being homeless to be to back to five times uh, changing my status and my social economic status. Um, I've transitioned my education, my age, and um, and my language every single day. Um, I change things about those differences. So I mean, those are three different, you know, three things that make us as humans. Um, every day that can be changed if you want to learn, if you want to seek out. Uh, I try to, to learn a new, a, at least two or three new words in, in, in a language um, every single day. Um, it doesn't, it's not that hard. And then if you just use them every once in a while, every day, every other day or so, you'll, you'll commit them to memory. Um, and then you can showcase a lot of empowerment for other people when you interact with them. Now you're realizing that you come from a position of privilege for language based on where you are in the world. Um, but then if you move to that space, you, you're going to be disprivileged, right? You don't speak their language. But you could show them a lot of respect, which could be very empowering. What's your favorite uh, language that you're working on right now? <laughs> um, so this weekend I was studying Turkish. <laughs> oh, wow. Which was very, very difficult. <laughs> but I had an entire conversation with someone uh, via Google Translate. So I was trying to commit the words to memory, but I haven't practiced this enough to commit the ones that I was studying to memory yet. 
That is amazing. Um, and you talked a little bit about the transition of going into the office, presenting one way, and then presenting in the office a different way. Um, did, could you talk a little bit about the first couple days or weeks um, and, and how you felt? Was, was that an empowering feeling? Um, no, it was not. <laughs> um, it was, it was frightening. And, and what I found is that um, working in the uh, workplace, uh, presenting as female, after presenting as male, um, though they were different workplaces, um, and different industries. Um, but I can tell that I was listened to a whole lot more before, <laughs> um, which was really shocking. Um, and uh, I got coached a lot um, as female that um, that I was sometimes too abrasive or too loud or too vocal, um, sharing my opinion too much. Um, and uh, and so those were things that kind of stuck with me and seeing, wow, before I, yeah, I mean, I literally shared my opinion and was, was the same amount of vocalness. And I got told that, um, you know, wow, I was like, I've never got told those things before. It was, wow, it was a great idea before. And it was, uh, we love that you always chime in. And we love that you, you know, you, you, you're, you're so loud and vocal. Um, I mean, it was just shocking the way I was treated. It was it, the difference between genders. Amazing. And, you know, when we think about uh, the educational resources that people have right now, um, I think everybody kind of sticks to their one thing. Sometimes it may be LinkedIn. Sometimes it's, something else. Um, are there any uh, resources that could help inform people um, about the LGBTQIA plus community that you would uh, recommend? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a boatload of resources. Um, it's, uh, I mean, your local LGBTQ center uh, would probably be the first place I would go. Um, and you can find yours at Centerlink. Um, um, Centerlink is um, is a great organization that kind of bands all the LGBTQ centers uh, together. Um, those centers literally saved my life. Um, the one where I, in the city that uh, I um, started transitioning in in Tampa, I went to Metro Wellness, uh, which is now Metro Inclusive Health, and um, and I found a support group and I found resources, right? And then someone was hosting a PFLAT meeting there, right? Like literally it's like the meeting group for all the LGBTQ uh, organizations in the region. It's, it's actually where I domiciled the uh, LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce, which is another resource. Uh, because then if you want to get plugged into the economic statistics, like I shared about the $1.7 trillion buying power, um, that would be nglcc.org slash report. You could download the economic report yourself and share it with your employee resource groups. Uh, those are really great uh, resources. Um, but uh, also I served uh, for three years as the vice chair of the National Board of Directors for GLAAD. Uh, so I definitely recommend GLAAD as a resource um, because they publish uh, all kinds of except. Uh, accountability and acceptance programs uh, for for tracking um, how we're viewed um, um, in the public and in the media and um, in all forms of medium. Um, you know, you think about how people learn about the people who are trans, right? If you don't have a friend that's transgender or somewhere on the transgender expansive community um, spectrum, 
you you know you'll never know these things you'll never get to know that that person could be an author it could could be a dei expert it could be um a, a rocket scientist the ceo um uh it could be the 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 deputy director of the <laughs> the surgeon general um like it's pretty neat when you start realizing that there's a lot of you know state senators and um and, and, and others that are um, transgender expansive, um, you, but you only know what you know, what you're told by the media, uh, sadly. Um, and you hear about um, bath, right? Everything is about a bathroom, even it's absolutely mind blowing that we're talking about bathrooms <laughs> um, and locker rooms and swim meets and all these other things. It's like, you know, someone's coming for you, like, <laughs> but it's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's about that someone's just trying to live their life and do the things that they like to do. Um, you know, it's like who, who, who someone is viewed as a villain. It's shocking. But if you just told the story in a different slant, the other person would be the villain. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally hear you on that. Um, is there a typical problem that you always see companies uh facing when they you know when they usually need your help <laughs> um yeah so it's like uh they they uh, don't even realize that they need my help um of course is a big problem but um deeper than that i think um it's having someone like me like i started my speaking career and my um, training career um, as my as a side hustle, right? When I worked at PNC Bank, I you know, I had my company and I went and shared my story, and then that, that morphed into training on doing a um, LGBTQ inclusion course, and then and then I would do a trans one on one, and I think I've done enough trans one on ones that I'm probably at trans one million and one now. <laughs> um, uh, and so as I started becoming a DEI practitioner, I would train on how to be anti-racist and disability inclusion and um, and the power of um, gender inclusion. And I would train on all these topics that would uh, connect our unconscious bias, right? I would connect all of the DEI topics to the marginalized identity groups. And what I found, and, and this is really important for organizations thinking about this from a training lens, um, what I found is that you do all these trainings and who shows up in the trainings? It's the marginalized community that the training is about, mm -hmm. right? So if it's a, if it's a trans, trans 101, it's gonna be a lot of trans and LGBTQ plus people. Um, if it's a anti-racism training, it's gonna be, there are gonna be a lot of black people there that are there you know, so showing the support and, and wanting to make sure their allies come, right? So then the allies is second. Uh, there's going to be a lot of allies there. Uh, so you got the marginalized community, you got the allies, and then you got the executive to say hello and goodbye as kind of like that uh, proxy person, the person that's sponsoring it, right? Or whatever the case may be. And then you get 1%. <laughs> and the 1% of people that show up are there for about five reasons. Um, the five reasons that they're there is um, specifically because they were told that it was mandatory by the HR team, right? Um, they were they're there because the, they're there specifically for the trinket or the food that's being offered, um, which is also another draw. <laughs> they're there because their friend 
told them they had to come or brought them with them as a plus one. They're there to get, uh, they're there because they're accidentally there. <laughs> and then my favorite one of all the five is that they're there specifically to get FaceTime with that one or two executives that are going to be there. So that way they see them there. And in all five reasons, it's not, it's not coming with an open mind to learn, uh, typically. Um, and how do you change the framing of these trainings um, or this heritage event or the speaking engagement that you brought me there for? Well, you change it by rebranding it. You have to brand it differently. You, you can't, just like Coke doesn't sell Coca-Cola one way the entire way around the world, they even make it taste differently as you move about the world. So why do you think you can sell DEI to people as DEI? You have to change it. You have to change the way it's, it's narrated. So I often present myself as a leadership expert on purpose and a leadership and empowerment expert because both those things are important to everybody. Jeff Bezos wants more empowerment. So why wouldn't you want it? Um, and so giving people a leadership opportunity to attend a leadership dialogue session or a monthly leadership lesson, um, you know, think about the person that's going to click that button from the internet page um, that says leadership opportunity, sign up here. Um, it's going to look, that person's going to look a little bit different. Um, they may have some differing dimensions of diversity that might not be expected at some of those events. And they're going to learn something. They're going to be going there for that leadership opportunity. They're going to show up to learn. Yeah, it sounded like you were kind of describing a lot of uh, companies a lot of different companies, you know, <laughs> that <Yeah>. I've seen. <laughs> um, but it also sounded like you're kind of like putting the medicine in the dog treat kind of thing, you know. Yeah, um, basically. So I really, yeah. <laughs> I love that approach. Um, and you, you really touched on it here a little bit. But um, could you talk a little bit more about why we need to think critically about um, diversity when we develop a leadership development program? Is it typically to, to develop leaders? Is it to um, uh, show other people that are that are not in the leadership position that it's possible? What do you think sh we should be thinking about there? Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I love it being leadership as the framing. Mm -hmm. um, and then differ who presents these leadership trainings. So that way people are used to seeing people who are intersectionally different being come, coming in um, and, and doing this session. Um, I recently did a presentation for a sheriff, a big sheriff's office in, in Florida. Um, you know, like a lot of employees, a lot of employees, like 5,000 employees. Um, and um, yeah, like the third biggest county in Florida. And, um, and so, um, and um, it was for the command leadership. And, and the speakers that I had followed was the um, um, operation um um, I think Iraqi freedom, um, uh, wounded, uh, veteran, um, which was, was presenting a leadership model, be a typical speaker in that, in that, uh, setting. And then it was me, <laughs> right. And I was not their typical leadership expert speaker that they were expected to see. That's a um, great so lineup though. Right. Yeah. It's a great lineup. It's a really good pivot. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, think about who's the leadership expert that you bring in for your annual meeting, right? Um, 
are you are you going to pivot to it being um you know some some singer that you're going to bring in or or is it going to be somebody who's you know different um i think that the more you think about different voices um in those settings um annual meeting your shareholders shareholders meeting um you name it all of these uh you know your corporate board retreat your i mean these are all these opportunities where you could really be embedding dei if you frame it as leadership in, in that sense and then you are purposeful about who you bring in to be a part of the conversation that is genius. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we usually ask one more question, but before we do that, um, how do people typically get in contact with you? Oh, um, yeah. So I'm pretty findable on social media. Um, and it's all one word, Ashley T. Brundage, B-R-U-N-D-A-G-E, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y. Um, so all together as one word is uh, is how you find me, and I'm on every platform, right? TikTok, uh, <laughs> you name it, um, and that's my same handle. Um, and then you can also connect with me um, with Empowering Differences. So EmpoweringDifferences.com is my main website. Um, that's where you can download that free assessment um, if you click on the Assessments tab. And then um, you can follow Empowering Differences uh, on the internet on any um, major social media site. It's Empowering Diff, uh, D-I-F-F, because differences was just too long, uh, but you all are the, uh, are the strength in that. That's awesome. Uh, what's your favorite type of uh, TikTok post to post? <laughs> I know a lot of people are so fearful of TikTok, but like, what's your thing? What's your thing? Yeah, so it's really funny. When I first started using TikTok, my two teenagers uh, told me to stop using TikTok. <laughs> and they said, uh, yeah, no, this is really not how you use TikTok. And uh, so then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, so um uh, but I've been still kind of messing around. So yeah, I realized that, um, you know, something that's short, something that's funny, uh, something that um, I can connect back to DEI is really tough to find in this space. Um, so it's usually me somewhere or me showcasing one of the differences or, or one of the empowering actions, but it's, but it's, it's very difficult. Um, so um, I usually just try to use it to have, showcase more fun um, than anything. And then hopefully that drives the connection for, for people to want to learn more about what I do. That is cool. Yeah, I feel like um, when I think about you, I think of someone that's smiling, a person that's laughing. So uh, I think you've done a great job of sharing that too. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing your TikToks. Uh, but uh, the last question though is, um, if there was one uh, action that you would urge our DEI leaders and hiring managers to, to do after this, uh, what would that one action be? Well, since I share about the 10 empowering actions, um, which is all what came from my, re my research. So yeah, so I did eight years with the research. I formed 10 different focus group discussions surrounding the 10 most common differences that we have. And the findings from that focus, those 10 different focus groups was each of a prioritization list for the 10 empowering actions. Um, and each of these empowering actions all address diversity, equity, and inclusion. The only one that says it is inclusion um, because that's one of the actions. Um, but each of them address it. 
um, in, in its own different way, right? So you have inspire for driving communication. Um, obviously, I mentioned inclusion. Um, but to pick one, I'd probably have to land. A, so the most empowering action for me um, is, I think, access. Um, and if you can drive, if you focus on driving access for people, I think that you'll get a lot of uh, DEI successes um, because you're going to be um, addressing accessibility for those who are differently abled. I have a hidden disability, so I don't always uh, present it or talk about it, but I think that um, you'll be driving accessibility and how your programming operates. You'll also be creating opportunities for people to have discussions and be present. Um, you're going to, in essence, um, drive the, the biggest outcome that you're looking for. And the biggest outcome typically in DEI programming is equity. Um, so if you want to drive equity, that means you need to create access. Access is the actual empowering action that you can do that impacts the other people in this space. Uh, so access would be definitely the one I would say you need to figure out how to execute that one. And sometimes that can be just networking with people as well um, is a great way to create access points. Um, know who you have access to, um, know what, what your contact database says about you and, and who you text and who you communicate with. All of those are con back to connected to access. So I think that that is one of the most um, powerful of all the empowering actions that, that I researched. Can't end it any better than that. Uh, Ashley T. Brundage, thank you so much for joining us for the Voices of Inclusion podcast. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.